Hello, 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 hello. Too many hellos. Let's uh, welcome you to our podcast, Music Speaks. This is the podcast that dedicates itself to how music impacts people's lives. For this show, we usually have two co-hosts. My name, of course, is Sean Rakunis, and my friend who is listening to those bells chime, his name is Hunter Sagona. Hunter and I believe that many people have a playlist that makes their life unique through music. We pride ourselves on building our musical knowledge with our featured guests, jamming to incredible music, talking about a wide variety of artists and composers, and everything in between. Here is today's musical quote. You know what music is? God's little reminder that there is something else besides us in the universe. Harmonic connection between all beings, everywhere, even the stars. Robin Williams. And today our returning guest is Monica Ramich. Monica Ramich is a classically trained soprano, voice instructor, and church musician. On the operatic stage, her credits include both full productions and select scenes in the roles of Letitia, the old maid and the thief, Cinderella in the true, the true Cinderella, sorry, true story of Cinderella, Susanna in La Nozze di Figaro, Zerlina in Don Giovanni, Zdenka in Arabella, and Lauretta in Gianni Schicchi, and Belinda in Dido and Aeneas. She is a former intern with the Rochester Lyric Opera and apprentice artist with Opera Ithaca, with whom she covered principal roles and performed in ensembles for several season operas. Let's welcome Monica to the podcast. Okay, and we are on with my friend Monica. And Monica, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you in the past. And Hunter and I were like, who's a guest that we haven't talked to in a while? Monica. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> so we, we wanted to talk to you about a few things that you addressed to me in our conversation about talking about the process of working on newly composed music mm-hmm. and also talking about stage fright and performance anxiety tips. But we're going to start with the process of working on newly composed music because I know this is something that you've been doing for a while. Um, I want to start with this first question, which is when something is written for your skill set, how does the planning begin? How does the conversation usually start? Do you initiate it? Does the composer initiate it? Um, For those who are interested in doing something like this, what would you usually say to to this first question? Yeah, for sure. well, you know, it's. I think, in, in, at least in my experience, in the pieces that in the the new pieces that I've worked on uh, in the past, um, the conversation definitely starts um, differently for each piece. Some composers, a couple of people that I've worked with, uh, it was something that I brought up to them um, as as a possibility to do uh, as a collaborative project. Um, I've also had pe- people sort of approach me, composers approach me and ask if they could write a piece for my voice. Uh, so it starts differently and, and, and sometimes there's a specific event that they have in mind or a specific context or whatever. So um, it's been different for each piece that I've worked on. But um, as far as you know, um, having a composer write with my voice in mind, that's such a flattering thing and, and really exciting. Right. Um, and you know, obviously, every person's voice is different, is unique, and that's the beauty of it. So it's a really cool thing to see uh, how a composer listens to you and how they decide what they like about your voice, and then writes a piece to showcase those qualities. That that to me is really cool to have that perspective. You know, to to hear what they like about your voice or where they see it shining. Um, so that's really cool. It's it's such a collaborative thing in that regard. And 
you know, each, each composer is different. So the collaborative process is a little bit different with that. Um, but yeah, really, really a ton of fun to, to do. So. Right. Yeah. I, I would imagine so. Um, because I've only had the pleasure of maybe doing that once, but sitting down with someone and just identifying some ideas on a piece of paper is kind of exciting. I Absolutely. Think, you know, I think thinking about the creative process in that way is sort of magical, I think too. Yeah, for sure. It really is. Yeah. And um, it's such a, I, I think that's partly why I love doing new music too, because, you know, of course I, I, um, I love singing all of the classic sort of repertoire, the classical repertoire. Um, but there's something very different about a new piece of music. You know, there's, it's like working with this living, breathing thing, right? It's very fluid and, um, right. and you, you get a chance to be in on the very early stages of the process and throughout the process. And uh, especially if it, it is sort of that, again, the collaborative thing where, you know, a composer talks to you for feedback or you ask them for feedback and then you can kind of tweak things together work on it that is such a fun thing to to do together right you know just thinking about performing again in front of um people is sort of getting my heart racing and kind of <laughs> I know. exciting and it's hard now because we're sort of living in this covid era of of being virtual and being sort of alone yeah. uh, but i do want to talk to you about uh one performance that you did because um ironically i got to know manny um, I, I remember Manny's last name, um, Manny, yeah, Burrito. Uh, but that's right. That's right. And, um, he was a, a friend of mine through Ithaca college and I'm sure a friend of yours, uh, ironically, always, mm -hmm. it's kind of funny. I got to know you through my first year and your last year, and you got to know Manny through yeah. your la first year and his last, year, which is kind <laughs> that's of, right. I guess. but he was able to write a really great piece for you. Um, I want to sort of walk with you through your performing of this new piece. Um, and sure. I know, I know you, you were talking about it, um, on the last show about how you had felt like this was a great moment for you. You went to New York, you were sort of performing in front of a really great audience. You were going to get an award for this, for this piece. Um, mm -hmm. besides all that, I mean, cause that, that's, that's great, but let's talk about the musical <laughs> side because that's, that's the part that we're really we're sort of talking about. Um, how did it feel for yeah. you? to go into that moment and then to do it in front of other people? Was it inspiring for them or was it more inspiring for you? Oh, well, I, I think it certainly goes both ways. I mean, I, I was um, very inspired by the whole process. This was one of those um, instances actually where I uh, approached Manny about it because I had seen, um, this was a, um, an event called Song Slam. Uh, it's in the sort of the poetry slam tradition uh, where you, um, uh, composer and singer teams we're bringing brand new um, art songs to uh, sort of a um, like just an event, and they were judged by the audience. Uh, for the audience got to pick their favorites, and right. so it was a chance to yeah. premiere them. And then um, the audience chooses a favorite, and someone wins an award. So that was something that I thought sounded really cool. And um, and I was friends with Manny, and so I asked him if he would be interested in doing it with me, and he um, thankfully agreed. <laughs> so, um, but in terms of yeah, in terms of the process of it, um, yeah. You know, it, it was it was really cool to, we also got to work with a friend of his, the, the text of the song was in Spanish. Um, it was Spanish poetry written by a friend of his. And um, and so we got to work with her as well, which was an added uh, bonus really to, to talk with the poet and to talk with um, Manny, the composer, and to see how their perspectives came together. And then to, you know, bring a little bit of my perspective as well as a performer um, was just so much fun to kind of weave this tapestry, you know, and, 
And it's just, it's so interesting to, to kind of go through some of these things. Obviously, you know, a, a lot of the conversations that Manny and I had were, um, you know, keeping different things in mind as uh, for a singer, um, and then also for him as the composer and the pianist, he was playing the piano for it as well. Um, so, you know, we had conversations about um, tessitura and, you know, where my voice in particular likes to live, you know, what, what area of my range, um, right. or things like diction, um, vowels, all that stuff. So um, that was really cool to, to have all those conversations about. And um, yeah, we had, we had a really a ball of a time premiering it in New York City. So, you know, something that you really touched upon that was really cool. We talked about conversations because that's basically where the piece begins. And I know that's where you and Manny sort of work started working on the piece together. Yeah. Um, how important is it when you start a conversation to to break down the piece? Or is it more important to try to find a way just to talk back and forth about what you both like? Well, there's um, certainly room for both. I think, you know, um, we both have different perspectives kind of coming at it, right? And um, I think I think my favorite part of the process really is the conversations um, and, and especially hearing the composer talk about their creative process behind their musical setting of the text, right? Because I, I think, you know, I, I love words. I love, um, you know, I, I love language and poetry, but... I think it's so interesting to add music to poetry because it, it really starts to, to direct your emotions in a particular way. I mean, a word has a given meaning or a certain connotation, but it can mean many different things to many different people. And you get a little bit of insight into how the composer sees that word based on how they write music for it, right? So that is such a cool thing to me. I, I feel like... Um, it's like taking this, you know, like a beautiful pencil drawing, right? If that's the poetry and then you paint it in color with the music, right? It's like sort of adding this, this beauty to it. It kind of just further adds to that. And, and it, it defines, you know, again, sort of defines those nuances of what it's conveying. And so um, hearing them talk about, you know, why they chose those notes, those rhythms, those expressive markings, all that stuff to, to convey this text is so fascinating to me. And I, I really love that part. And so they bring their experience, and then um, you know, for this particular piece, we had um, the the benefit of talking with the with the poet as well, and hearing about her experience writing these words. And then um, you know, I I got to kind of bring a little bit of my experience to it and my expressive interpretation. Uh, and so all those things coming together, it's, it's such a beautiful, um, a, really a beautiful collaborative process. I I love all of that, and so that that's probably my favorite part about new music. I love that my questions have always been like maybe vanilla or chocolate, but you come in with a Neapolitan. Of some kind. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but I'm so glad that you have been able to sort of find the balance between the two perfectly. Do you find that to be a really good collaboration between an artist and a composer? I, I have always had a wonderful experience with it. I, um, I think it's really important for for everyone for each person to bring their own um, you know their own interpretation and their own um, ideas to the table because it it isn't just a one sided thing and right. um, there's certainly you know no room for my way is the best way I think in, in some sense there um, 
And, but, but I think that's where the best work is done when you can really, you bring your ideas, but you're also willing to listen. And um, I have so enjoyed working with the, all the composers that I've worked with. Um, it's just, they're all wonderful. They're brilliant people. And, um, you know, Manny did a beautiful job with this, with this piece. I, I loved it from the beginning. And then just tweaking it as we went along to polish it up was, um, you know, even more of a joy. So. Right. Right. Yeah. I, that is the beauty and the creativity and the inspiring aspect of music that I think everyone should be able yeah. to enjoy, you know? So yeah, thank you. No, <laughs> thank you for talking about that. Um, I'm going to let the, I'm going to share the floor with Hunter now and Hunter take it away. Thank you. Um, yeah. So my question, sort of my first question, I'm going to do them a little out of order than I have written, but, um, goes back to the beginning of the process. How do you go about finding or deciding which pieces to play, especially when they're, uh, you know, when you have to look for um, new material, even possibly previously recorded, uh, not previously, not previously re mm -hmm. recorded yeah. material or written material. If say the person is not writing specifically for you. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, I often come about, you know, especially with newer music like this, I often um, have discovered certain pieces just through word of mouth, through connections that I may have previously had or um, friends mm -hmm. who have programmed this music that's maybe on the newer side. Um, and, you know, as far as music that has not been recorded, that's definitely a challenge because you can't just, you know, Google something or, you know, look it up on YouTube. It's not anywhere. <laughs> and so um, so that's sort of where I've discovered some of these newer pieces that haven't been written specifically for me, um, especially those of, of living composers. So that's that's always really interesting. I. Um, you know, now that I have formed a few of my own recital programs, I love finding themes um, and sort of creating. I sometimes just actually write, um, like kind of compose, um, like like recital programs just for fun, just kind of thinking along themes and uh, and thinking about those sorts of things. I love things that are very cohesive, <laughs> and so um, so sometimes you know it's it's always interesting to me to to. Um, you know, do different searches five through various, you know, channels and figure out what pieces are maybe not done as often and then pair them with something that is, that is a little more familiar or traditional. I think that that um, combination is really interesting for an audience. It's always interesting for me as an audience member. And it's also interesting for me as a performer um, to have something familiar and then something that's brand new. And so I often look for that when I'm thinking about recital programs or have have programmed them in the past. Um, and so, you know, as far as finding those those new music things, uh, if I don't already know the composer, uh, which I have already previously had connections with all the composers that I've worked with, um, but if I don't already know them, then it's it's usually something that is sort of um, that that a friend or a connection of mine um, has programmed previously. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I know exactly what you mean. I also like the, the thematic groupings of of things or something. Very very satisfying about that cohesive theme, like you said. Um, you know, whether it's, I don't know, first thing comes to mind, it's like you're putting out a winter concert or something and it's it's all about snow or each piece is someone else's interpretation of like, uh, I don't know, building a snowman. <laughs> you know, something where they all fit or it's like a, you know, each piece represents a different part of winter. One's the snow, one's the cold, one's, yeah. I don't know, I know what you mean yeah. about that. That's very, I like that too. Um, so another, uh, I guess another question, which I don't have written down, but sort of comes to mind is when, when programming, um, 
how do you, or is it an even split between older and newer pieces? Or would you say like the newer pieces are the, the garnishing on top of a standard repertoire or how do you, how do you usually split it up? Um, you know, it, it has depended on what, you know, what I'm performing for, uh, for both of my graduate recitals, uh, at Ithaca college, I, I did a kind of, but probably more traditional and then a, a sort of a, a splattering of, of some newer music or, or some, um, less commonly done music. Um, and so that, that was maybe just sort of a little, a little cherry on top kind of thing. Uh, but, but as I think of, you know, recital programs, as, I, as I'm sort of planning things out in my head or, or thinking of ideas, um, I think there's so many different ways you could go. And I think it just depends on who your audience is, what the event is, or what the performance is that you're, that you're programming. And, and thinking about what your audience is going to enjoy most, I think sometimes, or something that you really want to work on and that, that maybe, you know, you want to do a really hefty, um, you know, I don't know, sort of esoteric kind of piece. And then, and then you maybe throw something else in there that's a little more lighthearted or a little more um, familiar or, or tonal or whatever the case may be, just so that the audience kind of has something a little more, um, familiar, um, stable to, to come back to. So I don't know, it, it, it depends. I, I go back and forth, <laughs> um, with, with things. So there's no, there's no, uh, there's no theme with that, but, uh, but I think, I think a mixture is always great in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Cause I know that, you know, when you have like a school concert or something, you know, I feel like people often struggle figuring out how do I choose what to play? How, you know, do I stick with something new because it's interesting or do I pick mm -hmm. something classic because it's, uh, it's well liked and it's sort of a good foundation. And I think most people try to balance it, but you know, as right. someone who does that often, I, I think it's good for people to hear your thought process on that. Um, yeah, from a more performance standpoint, which is sort of, back to what Sean was talking about, when you go to perform a piece that is uh, newer, how do you prepare for it? How do you actually go about practicing and performing it if it's without precedence? Like, how do you say, you know, uh, the articulation, it's never been heard before, there's no common way to perform this, there's no accepted, uh, there's no, there's no accepted, yeah, I guess, performance techniques for this piece. Do you look to the source, the, the composer, if you know them, or do you sort of feel it on your own? Yeah, well, I, I learn new music the same way I usually start off with, with any music, which is, you know, take a look at the text, take a look at the range of the piece, those sort of basic things. I, th I think most of that pretty much stays the same. Um, and and I, I will say that sort of from there, it is a challenge because I, I I love listening to a piece before I actually kind of start to dig in. And so you don't have that luxury with new music because nothing has been recorded most of the time um, or the recordings are very limited. And so, uh, so then I just have to go right to the music and just go through, plunk out the notes and the rhythms. You know, usually I do it on the piano and then I, I put the words in after that or I'll go through and speak the text and rhythm, whatever I need to do to, to learn it. Um, but because I really love to learn and memorize music by listening to it and by sort of singing along with it, 
I often, I, I, I go through a piece, you know, a few times so that I, I make sure that all the pitches and rhythms and everything and, and words are, are all right. And then I'll actually record myself singing it, you know, even if I'm just plunking out the melody on the piano and singing along with that, I just make a little voice memo on my phone, mm -hmm. just so I have like some sort of makeshift recording to sing along with as I'm learning and memorizing it so I can keep playing it over and over. Um, I think that's especially helpful for me anyway, you know, with things like difficult intervals or if there are meter changes or whatever that, that might make it a little bit more challenging. It's, it's helpful for me to have an, an um, auditory re like reference point, you know? Yeah. So, so uh, oh, sorry. Were you going to say something? Oh no, I was just, I was saying, oh. yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah. So I, um, I'll also, you know, I, I, sometimes I try to play along a little bit with the accompaniment uh, if there's a piano score, um, depending on how, how challenging it is. I try to plunk my way through that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I, I just I mark up my music like I would with, with any other music. I kind of go through, circle things that stand out to me or will help me to understand the piece more comprehensively. You know, like if, if there's one of the instruments that, that repeats a melodic line that I sing, I'll kind of circle that or, or an interesting rhythm or... Um, you know, if there are line, like if I'm picking up and continuing a line that one of the instruments has started, I'll, I'll mark that too. So just, just the usual markings that I would do in my scores anyways. Mm -hmm. um, and then once it's all learned and I, I come to put it together with the collaborator or collaborators, um, that's really when the fun starts. I mean, it's so much fun. It's like this puzzle that just comes together for the first time. You have no idea what it's gonna look like or sound like in this case, but it's just so exciting. You know, even even the composer doesn't know what it's gonna sound like. Um, I mean, they, they hear it in their head, but but mm -hmm. in terms of how it sounds with your voice and everything, they, it's just, it's really amazing to, to um, bring that together. And so I think that's when the real work kind of starts after that. I mean, it's, it's you know, it's my job as the performer to, to learn all the pitches and rhythms and things, but but doing the real work and the expressive um, nuances and things like that really starts once you put it together with the other people who are who are working with you. So there's usually a lot of logistical things to coordinate. Um, and, and then oftentimes the composer will initiate a conversation about, you know, how do things feel? Or, you know, I hear some feedback on what I'm envisioning, whatever. And uh, and then that's when you know I I will bring my questions or you know bring my if if they sometimes they will ask for you know a suggestion or something and uh, you know I've I've offered that too in the past so that's that's sort of my process um, I, I know everyone's a little bit different with that uh, but it's it's pretty similar it's I, I think that I think the the real challenge the the main difference is that there isn't a point of reference like you were saying and so you don't have a recording or anything to kind of listen mm -hmm. to unless there's a MIDI file or whatever. And so, so just, you know, being really confident on things like intervals and, um, and just, you know, various notes and pitches that might be challenging or areas that might be challenging, I think is, you know, it's my job as the performer to learn what the composer has written. And so I take that seriously. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I, I mean, that's, that's sort of important. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Um, and I would think, you know, perhaps you know, just a little, um, I would think what it also might cause is because there's no precedence, each of the performers who are going to work together in this group to, to put this piece on are going to have a different interpretation. And because there's no standard way of doing a newer piece, do you find that often, or that sometimes causes a little bit of uh, conflict within the group? Um, I, I'm sure it, it could. I have um, thankfully never had that experience with anyone um, that I've worked with. It's always, you know, I, I think sometimes people will bring 
different perspectives. And sometimes that can be a little bit, um, you know, they may be a little bit at, at odds with each other, but it's never caused conflict in any of the ensembles that I've been in. So that's good. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, I, I think that's the beauty though of, of working with, you know, with professionals who are able to bring their ideas and, but also, you know, be, be malleable um, to what the composer is is looking for and envisioning. You know, I think that's that's obviously kind of who you defer to in many many senses. You have a perspective as a performer, how it sounds in your voice, how it feels, or or in your instrument, whatever. Um, but but I think you know the the composer. This is this is in many cases their vision, and and so you really want to try to um, bring that to life as best you can. Mm hmm. It's it's very interesting, you know, people who don't get to see or don't get to hear about this process, it, it, you know, there's a lot more to it than they think. You know, I, I think that's why there's been a lot of resurgence, of, especially across a lot of mediums. Um, the documentaries of how things are made, like there was a very yeah. good one done about Frozen 2. Um, mm. Star Wars did The Mandalorian, and they did a documentary about how they went about making that. And yeah. uh, I think people are really interested, even if they're not in the field, but they're interested to see how big projects like this are are made. And the music business, I feel like, doesn't get that often. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Because it's very yeah. different process. And it's very individual work-based. You know, you take yeah. the time to learn and, and practice. I mean, how exciting is that really for other people to see? But to hear how people go about doing it, I think more people would be interested in it. And that's sort of what we try to get sometimes on here people talking about their process, people talking about what they go through mm -hmm. to ready something like this. Absolutely, yeah, the artistic process is uh, really fascinating and very individualized, so that, that's, the, that's the fun and beauty of it. Right, and that's why, you know, when, other, when various guests have talked about it, I don't think we've ever had someone who had the same process. It's always a little bit different, mm -hmm. even if the outline is the same. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of the outline, we've reached that point in the outline where we are going to take a quick break sponsored by our friends at Anchor. But first, Monica, if you would be so kind as to read our handles for us across the social media platforms. Absolutely. So you can follow along on Twitter. Uh, the handle is at musicspeaks underscore pod. On Instagram, we have musicspeaks underscore podcast. On Facebook, Music Speaks Podcast, and on TikTok at Music Speaks underscore podcast. Thank you very much, Monica, and we will be right back. All right, we are back with my friend Monica. And Monica, the second part we're going to talk about is stage fright slash performance anxiety tips. If we don't have anxiety now, then what are we going to do with it on stage? we you know are done with all this anxious feelings um i feel like a lot of people ask me this and they say you do a lot of performing you do a, you do too many recitals no i'm kidding um <laughs> you do you do these recitals um where does all your nervous energy come from or where do you dispose of it and i say oh it's there it's there i mean yeah. you have it it's there i've heard people say do jumping jacks before or to run around and get energy going because then at that point where does all this anxious anxiety sort of go to your your stomach or you might even just sort of like just feel a lot of it in your head you might get really flushed you know um 
And something I say to these young people that come up to me and ask me, I just say, you got to do it. You just have to do it. And Mm -hmm. getting the experience of doing it is worthwhile because they, you won't really know what it feels like until you actually do it. And I know we've had this discussion before about um, once you miss a few notes, once you just get yourself out there, you play, you start feeling how it feels to perform in front of people, the anxious Mm -hmm. feelings go on after that. Cause you know, at that point, your energy is out there. Your audience is staring at you. Um, and I, I was there watching your last recital at IC and seeing so many people there admiring you, you know, and I had felt like maybe um, where was all this energy, but you came out firing and, and ready to go. So, and that's, and that, I think that's a testament to your performance technique as a, as a performer. Um, well, thank you. Yeah, I wanted to ask you this, and this is such a, um, many people have sort of said this to me over the times of doing this podcast, this is a definitely a loaded question, but if you can sort of help me with this, um, what are the steps to overcoming fear in performing? Yeah, well, um, you know, I, I don't pretend to have a magic formula for it, um, <laughs> but I can I can certainly speak to some of the things that have helped me in my journey and sure. um you know, and, and things that I often, you know, talk to my students about and, and whatnot. Um, I think that, um, I think, first of all, you know, the, the, the thing that's important to acknowledge is that it is a very real thing. You know, performance right. anxiety is very real. There are many professional performers who still talk about struggling with it, you know. Um, so it's, it's not something that's imagined or that means you're a bad performer because you have performance anxiety. And right. so it's important to acknowledge, acknowledge that, you know, and understand how it manifests for you. I think that um, my number one tip and the thing that makes me calm down the most (laughs) is um, preparation, you know, making sure that you are fully prepared, as prepared as you can be. Um, I think you just feel so much more relaxed if you know everything cold and could perform it in your sleep. And and I think nothing contributes more to performance anxiety than feeling unprepared. And so it's just it's it's something that you can proactively do before a performance, it's something that you have control over is your preparation. And so in that sense, it, it helps to alleviate some of those, those nerves. Um, so I think that's really important. I also think that uh, the power of psychology is very real. Um, and so if you, you know, if you constantly have these very negative and fearful thoughts when you prepare to sing, your body sort of starts to associate those two things together. And so you, you, know, you start pumping cortisol, like the stress hormone into your system, and it can really just just make you feel um, pretty miserable. And so, but I think that the reverse is true as well. If you if you constantly are trying to channel those more positive and excited thoughts when you prepare to sing or perform, um, then you I think your body can respond, starts to respond accordingly, you know? So, so I think that's really important. Um, I often tell my students, and I, and I have to think of this for myself too, but I, I think that the goal is not necessarily to totally eliminate the nerves because I think that nerves can be a good thing. I think getting nervous means you care about doing well. And I think I think nerves can cause you to, to focus and concentrate better. And, and I think they also kind of give you an adrenaline rush, which you know helps you to step up to the plate as needed. But but I think the the goal is more to diminish the negative effects and to to channel all that energy and and the the power of that more productively. That's that's sort of my mindset with it. Um, some people really benefit. Another thing that you know really helps a lot of people and and has helped me too is is finding a relaxation routine that works for you. You know, especially to kind of help release tension. Um, I 
<laughs> cannot sit still when I'm nervous. <laughs> so um, I kind of need to like, you know, stay up and alert in order to perform with my best energy. I, I feel like I lose my concentration when I try to sit still and relax. And so I like to just walk around and kind of focus on my very first lines before I go on stage. I like to kind of, you know, like roll my shoulders or, um, you know, like shake out my hands, whatever, like take some deep breaths, that sort of thing. Um, so that that's often another thing that, that I encourage people to do. Um, yeah, I think I think honestly, primarily the the main thing that I um, try to focus on is the sort of the again the psychological thing or the the mental side to it, right? Playing mind games or just redirecting your focus to certain things that are more productive, right? There's a real difference when you think optimistically about your performance. I know that's cliche, but but I think having that that um, attitude of I can do it is it really does translate into real results. You know, for um, I, I think it's helpful visualizing a successful performance. Um, you know, focusing on on why you're there and the interpretation of your of your music, all of those things are so so helpful to really bringing your best to a performance. So those are some of the things that that I often like to do and and think about that have helped me um, throughout my time performing. I think someone once told me that he was. I was asking him about grading my recital, and I said. So what if I, I mess up and I, I, I get a bad grade? He said, Here, here's the deal. This is what you're going to get. If you go out there and you play your best, you get an A. If you go out there, you cry, and then you play, I'll give you an A-. minus. Hmm. I think that was sort of a nice way of, of assaging a lot of young people's views on getting graded for their performances because hmm. that's the nature of how they feel. Because yeah. I had felt like if I don't play well, I'm not going to get a good grade. But you go yeah. out there, you trust your own playing. Like you had said, if you're not prepared, it's going to show. But if you prepare enough and you are able to get through from top to bottom without having to feel, you know, super tired, I think that's a, that's a good testament to a musician's confidence and what they're able to do. We did talk about a little bit of, of uh, then my next question, which is sort of talking about calming rituals before you start, because mm -hmm. it can be very nerve wracking just starting. You know, a lot of people... Yeah ask me what do you do when you start and something i would say to them was i just breathe that's mm -hmm. basically where music comes from the breath yeah that's where you got to start and i think that's the first step of many to take but um what are some of the techniques that you use to help calm yourself before you walk out on that stage yeah, well, um, certainly breathing is very important, particularly for um, singers and <laughs> and you as a, as a trumpet player, <laughs> for certainly. Um, right. But yeah, I think I think that's that's very important. And kind of going back to what I was saying about a relaxation routine, um, some people really need to be relaxed. It helps them to sit still and kind of you know maybe get into a more a more meditative state or something like that. Um, like I said, I, I tend to be a little bit more active when, I, when I'm trying to kind of calm down and, and get focused. And so, so for me, it's a little bit more of the moving around and, and staying alert and, and hyper-focused that, that is helpful. That, that's most helpful. I also like to kind of repeat my first lines in my head um, before I go on stage, not, not as a means of like obsession, but just, just trying to make sure that, okay, as long as I know that I get started on the right foot, I'm going to be fine, you know, um, because I think there's nothing that kind of throws you more than, than getting out there and totally blanking. And so just, just making sure that I have the, I, I get started right away, I think is, is very helpful for me. Right. Um, and, oh, sorry, oh go ahead. no, no, go ahead. Um, yeah, let's see. Well, 
as far as other things, I um I also really like to visualize the audience as my friend or or imagine that I'm singing for a close friend because I think it can be really tempting to think that the audience is is going to be, you know, watching you so closely that they're going to, you know, try to catch you singing something wrong or judge you for your mistakes or something like that, you know. But I think just imagining, okay, how would my my best friend or my, you know, my closest friend, how would they see me as I'm singing? What would they be thinking as they're watching me sing? They're not there to try to catch me doing something wrong. They're there to love and to support and to celebrate, you know, you and me, whatever. And so I think I think that mindset is more helpful. And I also think uh, along with that, when I am watching a performance, I really am not trying to watch. I, I don't, I don't, I'm not there trying to catch the person doing something wrong. I don't want them to fail. You know, I want them to succeed. And even if they make a mistake, as an audience member, I'm like, oh, whatever, you know, like it just kind of move on. I forget about it. I don't, I, you know, I, I don't sit there and write down everything that they're doing wrong. Right. And so I think that is very important for me to remember as a performer that, that this audience is my friend. Um, and, and even if they're not, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you just kind of got to think about that um, and, and go out with that mindset. Right. right. So that's always very helpful to me. Um, and then I also, I also really try not to, um, you know, try not to focus too much on thinking about things being totally technically perfect because I've done all that work beforehand. And so, so the technique stuff is, is uh, those are things that I work on in the practice room. And so the thing that I really try to focus on when I'm actually in a performance is the interpretation and the emotion and um, sort of the expressive nature of what I'm trying to convey rather than thinking about all of the technical things because I want I want people to remember my performance for the expression and for how it makes them feel rather than oh wow she can sing a high you know e flat or whatever um so that that's that's another thing that really helps me a lot right and I want to ask this because this is something that we don't really address a lot but what do you really do with that energy after you're done performing? Because it can be hmm. intoxicating. And some people really say that once they're done, they they don't really know what to do with that energy. How do you release hmm. it or how do you sort of let it go? That's a great question, actually. It's um, not one that I – you're right. We don't talk about it very often. I think um, – Again, it's sort of like this this adrenaline adrenaline crash, right? You have the adrenaline <laughs> rush and then you have the adrenaline crash. And so sometimes after performances, I have crashed pretty hard, <laughs> you know, because whether it was a high anxiety performance or whatever. Um, and so sometimes I just need to like sit and be, I don't know, channel my introverted side and just kind of like, you know, be alone for a little bit and kind of, okay, I need to come down, like just, just sit and, and let it like process the, the performance if I need to, or just sit and do nothing and not think about anything for like a little bit. And then I'm okay. You know, sometimes I have to do that. Other times I, you know, as I'm kind of coming down from that, all, all the, all the pent up energy, you know, I just, again, same sort of thing. It's like, it's like a warm up and cool down, very similar things, right? Just like, I kind of have to walk around or kind of shake it out or take some deep breaths, do some shoulder rolls, like, okay, it's over, you know, um, and just leave it behind and, and not, you know, not think about, not, not kind of zoom in on every single little detail, but, but leave it behind. Um, so those are, those are some things <laughs> that I do. I, I, it's actually a great question. I, um, I think it would be helpful for every performer, including myself to, to be more intentional about that, about that, right. the after effects, you know, because one could leave a recital or performance being like, ah, darn it. Come on. Yeah. 
Oh, but they, but they can also be like, oh, that was so good. And they can get sucked into the moment and not mm -hmm. be able to leave that moment. I'm not yeah. sure if Hunter, you, have you ever felt that way where you had experienced uh, exuberation where you at the point have felt like this is, this is my moment. This is my time to shine. Um, I have to say when I, you know, did my first musical after doing my first show, it was a lot. And I left mm. feeling super confident. I walked out to see all my friends and they were like, Hey, how's it going? I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just dropped. Wow. Substantially. Yeah. You know, and at that moment I was like, that's how it should feel. You should go into something feeling a certain way with a certain energy that you have. And then when you leave, you just need a little time alone to just, again, breathe. Because that's yeah. another key thing to have along the way. And I'm so glad that we were able to talk about it a little more. Um, I'm sure Hunter wants to get to his next question because Hunter's looking at me like, come on, man. We got to go. We got to go. And okay. <laughs> Hunter, Hunter, let's go. Little old me? No, no, I was I was enjoying it because that last question you had, it really is something for people to, to ponder because I feel like, you know, sometimes that the exuberance that you mentioned, it, it can take over. Um, I, I remember the first time I felt it, I was in the pit for Fiddler on the Roof and uh, that was like, I mean, it was a lot, especially afterwards. And like you said, people are calm and I'm not usually a very overanimated <laughs> person. I mean, I, I wouldn't call myself excited, right, but, yeah. you know, you do, you do feel it. Um, so my question is uh, more about a specific, not specific instance, but what do you feel, Monica, is the most nerve wracking part of a performance? Is it the, uh, you know, waiting off stage? Is it the walking on? Is it the actual sitting there playing, you know, what, yeah. or, or in your case, you know, standing and singing? Um, yeah. What do you feel is the most stressful or nerve wracking part? Yeah, I always think the the waiting in the wings right before you go on is is the most stressful part for me. Uh, I think because you have all this anticipation and uh, and sometimes dread, you know, and and you um, it may be the time that you start envisioning the worst possible scenario, uh, and so I think all of that anticipation can be can be very stressful and then once you walk on for me once i walk onto the stage and um especially once i start singing i it, i mean it's like a matter of seconds and it all just melts away for me um and i i really don't have an issue after that uh i just can be in the moment and enjoy myself and have fun expressing and and um singing my heart out <laughs> mm -hmm. and so um but i think that i think the the waiting and the uh, sort of anticipating all these things is it can be very stressful you know and it's often a lot worse than the actual performance itself you know than, than the actual experience itself and so that for me can be very nerve-wracking um, I want to actually just quick say one thing that ties in with this, but also back to what we were saying before. I think it's really important um, to decide yeah. before you go on stage that your worth as a person is not tied up in whether you give a perfect performance or not. You know, that that's something that's that's said um, frequently, mm -hmm. but it's it's a little difficult to internalize sometimes. And I think it's important to remember, like, you, you are there to sing because you enjoy it and because the audience enjoys it and there's a message that needs to be shared. You know, so if you make a few mistakes, but you still connect and communicate with your listeners, you've succeeded. And so you got to move on and, like, not let your mind spiral. Easier said than done. And, and mm -hmm. I need to take my own advice. <laughs> but um, but I think that, that I have to constantly remind myself of that, you know, I, it's not defining my worth as a person, whether or not I give a perfect performance. Mm -hmm. 
And something I think that, you know, is very connected to that is, and you sort of, well, we, we've alluded to it, but, you know, you have obviously been performing for a very long time. We all have, we're, I would say we're all, I'm not, maybe not you to performing but we all know the process of it right and in our do you think there's ever a point where um you don't feel that nervous going to perform or does it happen every single time because i feel like a lot of people you know they say oh you you know especially older musicians oh you've been doing this for years it's old hat you perform every other week and you know blah 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 mm -hmm. and they're like well you mustn't get nervous right and they're like well <laughs> I, i'm just curious yeah. as to, <laughs> as to yeah. your opinion about that for sure yeah well um you know, does it go away the more you perform? I I think so for most people. Um, I can speak to my own experience and that has certainly happened. Um, it doesn't necessarily go away entirely, uh, but I think it, I, I do think it does get better the more you do it. And so, so that's why I always encourage people. And I, I you know, I try to perform as often as I can myself. Um, I think the more you do it, you know, the, the more aware you become of your body and what helps you in those moments of anxiety. And, uh, and then you, you feel more confident as you have more successful performances like that, you know? And so I, you know, that perform as often as possible, I think is, is, a, is a great way to, to just, you know, kind of keep, keep getting used to that, you know, performing for your family, for your friends, for your dog or your house plants or whatever, you know, like whatever. And I, mean, I, I perform in front of my mirror probably more often than a kid would admit. So whatever works. Um, but, but I think, I do think that the more you do it, the, the, the easier it becomes. And, and at least, you know, if, if nothing else, you become more aware of, of those um, symptoms, if you will, of performance anxiety and, and figuring out what works for you to deal with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something interesting about that, which I feel like we have never, I don't think we've touched upon it at all. Do those nerves, whether or not they decrease over time, do you feel that there's any benefit that they serve? Do you think they, they have a purpose? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I think I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but yes, I mean, um, I, I do think that that nerves can be a great thing. I mean, I, I think that it means that you care, that you want to do well, that you care about doing the music justice, yeah. right? Um, and I think they can, I, I also think they can cause you to kind of, to focus and to concentrate. And so that's that's really important too. Um, and the adrenaline rush is helpful, you know? I mean, those, those pre-performance jitters, you know, mm -hmm. kind of make you more alert and, and you're, um, you're, I, I think you, you are able to concentrate better, at least for me, that's true. Um, and it really helps you to kind of deliver when you need to, right? So I, I guess in that sense, I, I think more important than eliminating the nerves is figuring out how to take the all of that energy um, and make it productive, you know, positive energy as opposed to more negative energy. So that's that's sort of my my take on it. Right. Yeah, and that seems like an entire, you know, you said the power of psychology earlier, I remember. Um, that's sort of what that is, right? Is the ability to transform those emotions into positive work, uh, into creating a positive work environment for you to be able to go off and do whatever it is that you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yep, for sure. All right, well, with that, I have gone through all my questions. Sean, <laughs> do you have anything else to add before we take it away? 
yeah, if I can add one more thing, um, sure. I think I think Monica touched on it brilliantly about the idea of of nerves and, and that question about Hunter that you just said about why are nerves important? Like, why do we care about about having nerves? Just because Monica, you said it perfectly that um, we are nervous because we want everything to sound good. We want people mm -hmm. to enjoy what we're trying to do. And I actually think that the nerves actually come from a place of empathy. And mm -hmm. a desire to want to do do the best that we can do, and mm -hmm. that might not always be the case because anything can happen. You know, there are no rules on or no caps on. Uh, no one knows how time works. No one knows exactly if we had to go into a time machine and try to fix one small thing. Mm -hmm. Who knows what would change the next time we would do something again? I think. Um, everything changed. I mean, like we, you, you can even say it yourself. If you did that same recital that I saw you do, would it be any different? Of course it would be different because mm -hmm. you're setting yourself up for a different stage and a different set of people in a different mm -hmm. area. You know, I think that it's just something to think about. You know, I want to get, before we get into this more concluding remarks, do you have anything to say to those who are fearful or maybe fearful of performing, but really want to do it, but they, they, they want to over, they don't want to think about nerves. What is something important to say to that person that, that doesn't want to think about nerves, but really wants to perform? Do we let them embrace the nerves and then go out? Or do we just say, forget what you have to have to do, just go out there and have fun because that's because that's something that we forget sometimes when we're making music is we're doing it for our own pleasure and for doing it for mm -hmm. other people's pleasure. What do you say to those comments? If you don't mind me asking the last question. Yeah, sure. Um, I do think that there is just so much benefit to just getting out there and doing something. Um, it's maybe just a you know a, a, a good thing to to even just live by with you know in your in the rest of your life as well. Um, doing things that are a bit outside your comfort zone, you know that that's where real growth happens. And um, you know I I think that focusing on doing something because it's something that you want to do and that you enjoy and that you know could help other people. I think is very important and that certainly rings true for performing and, and for singing. And so if you think there's a message that needs to be shared and it does need to be shared because you are the only one with your voice and your story to tell. And so um, I think the important thing to focus on is not that it's all about you and whether you do well, but more about the music. And that if, as long as you can bring that music to other people and connect with your listeners and communicate in some, in some way, that's true success and um you know the the nerves um i i think you know they they get better the more you do it and so you just you just kind of got to keep doing it and keep, keep coming back keep bringing yourself back to that main mission and just you know figuring out okay here this is this is what i want to do and this is how i want to connect with other people and so um you know letting everything else go i think is very freeing yeah i wanted to say once we have felt closure from moving on from COVID and moving on from mm -hmm. a society where we're just all afraid to be outside right now and, and being mm -hmm. in front of other people, those nerves will be there, but we will be grateful for those nerves because mm -hmm. we will need to know that um, we're going to be making a difference once again. Um, Absolutely. Monica, it is a pleasure once again to have you and to sit down and talk again. Um, Hunter is nodding with uh, disbelief that we've even got you on the show again. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're, we're, oh, just, we're, just, we're just so happy to have you here and um, 
thank you for oh, coming my back. Pleasure. Thank you so much for the invite. It was great to chat and, again. Uh, we'll have to uh, pick it up once again once uh, once you're free. So sounds like a plan. Thanks okay. so much. All right. Thanks, Monica. See you later. It was a pleasure. <laughs> Bye. Thank you very much, Monica, for being back with us. Well, that's it for me. I'm Hunter Sagona. And I'm Sean Rancunas. And Hunter, next time we will sit down to talk about crazy for you. Woo! And keep listening to what you love, of course. But, you know, the other thing, too. So see you next time. <laughs>